You know, one of the things I love most about being at Heritage is being surrounded by men and women who actually mean what we just sang. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. I know that that's the true and deepest part of so many of you who are here, students, college students, seminary students, staff, and faculty. And that's one of the realities of our life. We long to follow Jesus. But there's another reality that's darker and creates tension with that first reality. The second reality that's true of all of us is that we're still caught in sin. We still stumble. We still fall. We still struggle with various sins. Even though we long to follow Jesus, there's part of us that goes the other way. It could be sins like pride that cause us to feel a little superior to others. It could be a sin like pornography that causes us to go down dark trails that we know aren't pleasing to God or healthy for us. It could be jealousy that causes us to actually feel sad when someone else that we actually know and love does well. It could be a host of anything that sabotages your desire to follow Jesus. And we got both those realities living in our soul. So what are we supposed to do with that? How do you actually see change come about in some of the areas where you feel most stuck? Where you struggle the most? How do you see change happen? How does that happen? Well, the Bible actually has a lot to say about that, more than we could possibly unpackage in one chapel session. But today I want to take you to a passage that you may not have considered. It may be a bit unexpected, but it's a huge part of the answer of how we change, how we go from where we are to where God wants us to be. So if you're a person who longs to follow Jesus but knows you have some things that pull you back, here's a passage that I believe will give you hope, give you encouragement, and give you direction on how you can change, how I can change. The passage that I'm referencing is found in the book of 1 John. So I want you to join me in 1 John chapter 3, and today I want to talk to you about the love that changes us, the love that changes us from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at our text together. Father, you've heard our honest cries as we've sung to you, saying, with every breath we long to follow Jesus. And that is true. Lord, you know our hearts. But you know that there are other breaths that happen in our lives and other choices we make that sometimes take us the wrong way, away from you, not closer. And we hate that. We long to see a greater transformation of our lives. And so today, I'm praying that your word would speak powerfully and personally to us about how your love changes us. And I pray you will help me, as this has been changing me, to communicate it in a way that's worthy of the text that speaks to our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen as I read 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. 
because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Verse 3 is uh, talking about change, isn't it? It's talking about becoming more pure. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. So he's talking about a change where we become more like Jesus, purifies himself as he is pure. Does Jesus have jealousy? Well, no. And this is talking about a change that would kind of get rid of jealousy in us. Does Jesus have impurities? Does he have pride? No. So it's talking about us becoming more like him in those very areas where we struggle most. That's where verse 3 ends, the change. But that's not where it begins. If we want to see how this change happens, we got to go back to verses 1 and 2 and follow the trail that takes us from verse 1 all the way to verse 3. Verse 3 is going to end up talking about change. But verses 1 and 2 give us a trail. Verse 1 is the trailhead, and it launches us on a journey towards change. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to go back carefully and look at verses 1 and 2, and I want to unpackage one idea, one key thought. I'm going to build it little by little, and it's how we change, how this passage reminds us how God changes us. And verse 1 is going to start by talking about love. Verse 1 is going to tell us about seeing the Father's love. So the sentence that I'm going to build for you starts off this. When you see the Father's great love for you. That's the first part of where we're going to go. You've got to see the Father's great love for you. When you see the Father's great love for you. It comes out in verse 1. Look at it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Verse begins with an imperative, with a command. It says, see, look at this. Stop where you are. See, take a look at this. And what are you supposed to take a look at? The kind of love the Father has given to us. So the first thing he says, it's, he calls us, actually commands us, is to stop where we are and take a long, deep look at the love the Father has for us, for you, for me. Now, you may hear that and go, yeah, I've done that. I know that the Father loves me. I mean, when I was a kid, I memorized John 3.16, for God so loves the world. I, I know the idea, God loves us. I get that. And I think John would say to you, wait, 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 not so fast. Have you really seen it? See, John is writing to Christians here. And he says, you got to see this. He's implying that it's possible to be a Christian and still not really see this. It's possible to be a Christian and not have the sweetness of this ever be tasted. So John says, I want you to see this. I want you to stop, slow down, and take in the view of the Father's great love for you. See, if you've been around the church for a while, if you've been a Christian for a while, this is one of those things that you kind of think, yeah, I've got that one. Oh, what's next? We take it for granted. A couple of years ago, Linda and I were in Africa. We were in Kenya, and we were visiting some uh, missionaries and some uh, Kenyan pastors and their wives. And one, I think it was a Sunday, we drove to a little church out in kind of the hinterlands. And as we drove, we were just driving down one of the roads, there were these groups of giraffes I mean, this is not a game park. This was not a zoo. 
This is just like out in the bush, and there are these clumps of giraffes. Giant Giraffes have to be one of the most amazing animals God made, don't you think? So we stopped the car. We got out our cameras. Uh, one of uh, the guys with us actually got up close and did kind of the under-the-nostril cam shot, and he was looking at this giraffe, and we were kind of thinking, that may be a little closer than you want to be, but we were fascinated with these giraffes. But here's the interesting thing. Some of our African friends were just walking down the road, walking by, and they didn't even take a second look at those giraffes. They just kind of kept their heads down and kept walking because giraffes are to them what black squirrels are to us. I mean, they see them everywhere. No big deal, a giraffe. And yet we were saying, wait a second, do you see this thing? Do you see this creature that God has made? Stop and look at it. I think John is saying this. Sometimes we walk through life with our head down and we stop seeing the most wonderful vista, the most wonderful view that we could, and that is that the Father loves you. Father loves you. And John is saying here in verse 1, you got to lift your head. You got to see this. Now, a little bit later in chapter 4, he shows you where you see the Father's love most clearly. Just jump over to chapter 4 and verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John is saying if you want the clearest view, the clearest vista of the love of God, the love of the Father, look at the cross. That's where you see the measure. That's where you see the magnitude of the Father's love, what he gave for you. He gave his only son for you. And John says, I want you to see that. I want you to realize that God, his disposition towards you is love. So much so that he gave you the best that he had. He gave you himself in the form of his son. But he didn't stop there. His love is even greater than just forgiving you. In fact, if you go back to our passage, we find two ways that the Father loves you, two ways that he changes you, two ways of what he's done for you that shows you the depth of his love. Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 1, and let me show you the first thing that God did here to show you his great love, and that is this. He changed your identity. He changed your identity. So we can build our sentence When you see the Father's great love for you, that changes your identity. He changed who you are. I know that because look what verse 1 says. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that, here it is, you can see it in this way, that we should be called the children of God. So we are. John is saying this, you want to know how much the Father loves you? He made you his kid. He didn't just forgive you, he made you family. He brought you in as one of his sons and daughters. He changed your identity. You used to be someone who was alienated from him, someone who had no hope, and now you're someone who's part of his family, and he loves you like he loves his own son. 
You see, God is love. That's what John 4, 1 John 4, 8 says. And from all eternity, think about this, from all eternity, God's love as Father has been directed towards his Son, the Son in whom he delights. But God's love is so great, it doesn't stop with his own Son. He wanted to share that with people like us. So through the Son, he creates a world, and he creates people, and then he showers us with his love, and he says to people like us, though you have sinned against me, I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to make you mine. You're going to be my child. You're going to be one of the children of God, and I will be your father. He loved you enough to say, I will be your father. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your earthly father. I do know that every earthly father is flawed. I say that as an earthly father. Recently I had to apologize to one of my grown kids for something I said that wounded them. I love my kids, but I don't always do it perfectly. And that's true of every earthly father. There are no perfect earthly fathers, but you have a perfect father. You have a heavenly father who wants you to know that you are his much-loved child and he never does anything to wound you. He is, the, he is the personification of what a father should be. And he's your father. And he wants you to know that. That's your identity. You are a child of the father. In fact, it's important to God that you know him as father. J.I. Packer, theologian who's now in glory, said something I thought was interesting. Packer said this in his book, Knowing God. I'll read it to you. He says, what is a Christian... The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as his father. If you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers, his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. See what he's saying? He's saying this is like fundamental, that you start to know that you have a father who loves you, loves you perfectly. And so your identity now is a child of the father who loves you. That's how you're supposed to see yourself. But that's not how other people will necessarily see you. In fact, John says that in chapter 3, verse 1. He says that the world doesn't see us that way. Look at verse 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. So people in the world are not necessarily going to look at you and go, oh, you are a much-loved son of the Father, or you are a much-loved daughter of the Father. That's not how they'll see you. People in the world will look at you and go, oh, yeah, you're the Asian kid. You're the math whiz. You're the shy girl. You're the redhead. They got all these different things that they see you, right? They see you through lenses, but they don't see who you really are. John is saying, you got to see this. You have a father who loves you and who defines your very identity. It's who you are. So John says, and so we are. Like we are that today. You are loved by the Father. You are a child of His, and He loves you. 
The world doesn't see it because it didn't know Jesus. It didn't recognize him. Did you see that in verse 1? The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. Most people walked around and looked at Jesus, and they didn't realize he was the son of God, the son of the Father. They didn't understand that. And John says, if they didn't get him, they won't get you. But you have an identity. It's a hidden identity. Right now, it's not visible. It's a hidden identity that's true about you. You are a much-loved child of the Father. I have a brother-in-law who's a pastor, and he was telling me the story that makes me smile about hidden identities, people not knowing exactly who we are. Uh, Joel is a big guy, 6'4", strapping guy, and uh, one day at his church where he pastors out west, there was a little guy named Christian. Christian was probably like six or seven, maybe five years old, somewhere in there. Christian comes up to him and he goes, Pastor Joel, can I talk to you? So Joel says, sure. So, you know, Christian's down here and Joel's up here and they walk into a little hallway and he goes, yeah, what do you have? What do you want, Christian? Christian looks up at him and goes, are you Superman? And Joel just goes like this, shh. And Christian goes, I knew it. I knew you were Superman. So he leaves, and Joel was kind of smiling. A couple of weeks later, Christian comes back to church. He's got a windbreaker on, zipped up all the way to the top. And he goes, Pastor Joel, come here. So they go into a hallway. Christian unzips his, his windbreaker, and he's got a Spider-Man shirt on. <laughs> and Joel looks out and goes, I knew it. I knew you were Spider-Man. In other words, here's this little guy dreaming of having a secret identity. You have an identity If you unzipped your windbreaker, it would say, child of God, much loved by the Father. That's who you are. And John says, you don't often see yourself this way, but this is how you got to think of yourself. You have a new identity. You see, when you see the Father's great love that changes your identity, it starts to change you. In fact, it changes something else. Now we're up to verse 2. We're making our way from verse 1 to verse 3, and we're building a thought that John is going to show us. And it starts off this way. When you see the Father's great love that changes your identity, verse 1, here we go, and changes your destiny, verse 2. It not only changes your identity, who you are now, it changes your destiny, who you will be someday. I know that from verse 2. Look at verse 2. Beloved. Isn't that interesting? He calls you beloved. Remember, you're loved. Beloved. We are God's children now. That's our identity now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. He said, here's your destiny. One day, one day, you will be like Christ. When he appears... All of the junk in your life, all of the stuff in my life I don't like, it's going to be burned away. You struggle with pride, you struggle with jealousy, you struggle with impurity. All of that gets burned away, and you are now like the one you see. You see the Father's great love, now you see the Father's great Son. And when you see him, verse 2 says, you become like him. He will change you forever, and that change will be complete. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And that's your destiny. So the Father loves you so much, he's changed your identity now. 
and he will change your destiny forever. Now, you may hear all of this, and you may hear all this and go, well, that, it's wonderful. This is very theological, seems a little theoretical, and I would say to you, no, it's transformational. Because when you see this, when you really see it, not just cognitively, not just logically, but when you see it and it seizes you, when it starts to get a hold of you, it'll change you. Which brings us to verse three and the end of our thought. See, we've already seen that when you see the Father's great love that changes your identity and your destiny, here's verse three, you'll start to see changes in your purity. When you see the Father's great love that changes your identity and destiny, then you will start to see changes in your purity. Then you'll start to see changes, transformation in your life. I know that because of what verse 3 says. Look at it. And, it continues the thought, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope in him. When you see that you are loved by the Father... John says it will start to change you and you will start to make changes in your life that will, the the things that you struggle with, somehow God will give grace through that love to start changing those very areas because you know that you are loved and you know that you have a destiny to be like Christ and that hope begins to change you. It's not just for some people, it's for everyone that sees this. Look at verse three again. And everyone, everyone, who's included with everyone? Well, that could be you, that could be me. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I think what he's saying is this. When you start to see the love that the Father has for you, it begins to give you hope. Because that's what he says in verse three. Everyone who thus hopes in him It starts to give you hope. It gives you hope that you are more than you seem to be right now. It gives you hope that you are more than your struggle. It gives you hope that one day you will be more than you could dream of being. It starts to give you hope, and that hope of the Father's love, the hope that it inspires, starts to bring change in your life. It starts to move you and starts to give you a new motivation and power to overcome things that have been pulling you down for years. Love changes us. Back in the uh, 18th and 19th century, there was a pastor, a Scottish pastor by the name of Thomas Chalmers, and he gave a sermon out of 1 John that was called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And this was his idea. We, we sin because we love the world. We sin because we love. We have disordered loves. We have loves that have turned in on ourselves, or we have loves that have gone rogue, and we love some of the wrong things. And he says, what will cause those wrong loves to be extricated, eliminated from our life? And he says, only this, the expulsive power of a new affection. You need a greater love that displaces the old loves. Because I'm doing this thing that, you know, it, it hurts me, but somehow I'm drawn to it. But then there's this new affection, a love that is greater than that. And that new affection crowds out and pushes out those old disordered loves. Love changes us that way. When I was a boy of about 12 years old, my dad came into my room one night. I was in bed. 
My dad was a pastor of a church. I looked up to him and I loved my dad. He sat down by my bed and I could tell something was wrong. Something was really wrong because my dad wasn't the most emotional guy out, out, outward, but he was emotional this night. And he sat down and he told me something. He said, Rick, tomorrow at church, something's gonna happen and I just want you to know about it in advance. And he told me the story of how there was, our church was small so we all knew each other. There was a young man, high school kid, who I knew, I was best friends with his younger brother. And this high school kid had a girlfriend who was in our church and they had gotten involved sexually. She was expecting a baby. And tomorrow at church, they were just gonna say, would you help us? And we were so sorry, we're, we've, we've stepped over, but we need your love and forgiveness. And so my dad is telling me this, that this is gonna happen tomorrow in church, after church. And as he starts to tell me about this, he starts to weep. And uh, he's broken by this. He loved this family. He loved this young man. He loved this young lady. And he knew the pain that this was going to bring to them and the trauma that it was creating for the family and our church. And he began to just weep. And I hardly had ever seen my dad cry before. And so I was a bit frozen. And when he left that night, I remember as a little kid praying to God by myself. I said, God, if I ever do that, strike me dead because I couldn't bear to tell my dad. It would break his heart. What's interesting is my dad never wagged his finger at me that night and said, son, don't you ever do anything. He didn't say anything like that. He didn't have to. Because love changes us. And when you know the love of a father, it causes you to say, I want to live differently. And that's just a human example. You have a perfect heavenly father who loves you. He knows the worst things about you. The things you are most ashamed of. And he loves you. Great love. In fact, he loves you enough to say, you will be forever in my family. You. You'll always be much loved. And one day, one day, though you can't feel it or see it now, one day you will be like my son Jesus. You will be whole. You will be purified. He loves you that much. And John is saying this, when you start to see that and it starts to seize you, you'll start seeing changes. Not because God wags his finger at you and says, don't you ever. It's because you've known his love and love changes us. You see, the thought that we've been building all morning is simply this. When you see the Father's great love, that changes your identity and your destiny, you'll start to see changes in your purity. Why don't you just take a moment and just uh, shut out everybody else and talk to your Father in heaven. We're told to pray, our Father in heaven. 
He wants you to know him as your father. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come and we're gonna just sing how deep the father's love for us. But why don't you take a moment, maybe for some of you, you've never really felt the love of the father. You just, you, it's hard for you to really connect with that. Why don't you just pray, Lord, would you allow the love that you have for me as my father to somehow make its way into my soul so I see it, so I get it, so I embrace it. Ask him for that. And then just say, Lord, and out of your love for me, would you let that love change me so that I show it him how I live for you? Let's all just talk to him privately. And then in a moment, maybe the worship team will start playing, but we'll, I'll lead you as we sing how deep the Father's love. sing. How deep the Father's love for us. How beyond all measure that he his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory sing the last verse I will not boast in anything I will not boast in anything. No. Why don't you stand? No power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. I should I gain his reward. I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my have paid my ransom. Leave this place knowing that you are deeply loved. God bless you.